Do you want to maximize your success with NCUA? Join Mark Trichel as he shares with you the insider's view on passing your exam with Flying Colors. The With Flying Colors podcast is sponsored by Credit Union Exam Solutions by Mark Trichel. If you would like to work directly with the Credit Union Exam Solutions team and receive support to optimize your results with NCUA so you save time and money, visit us at marktrichel.com to find out more. Hey everyone, this is Mark Treichel with a, an, an emergency Sunday episode of With Flying Colors, special edition. And this, of course, you might guess it, relates to Silicon Valley Bank and its failure on Friday. So on Friday, I was reading the Wall Street Journal and came across a story that the Silicon Valley Bank stock had plummeted, say, pick a number, it was like 60, 65%, something like that and that it was trying to raise capital and that it was incurring losses from assets that it needed to sell to meet liquidity needs. And I did a quick post on LinkedIn related to that and the liquidity ramifications of of the current world that we're living in, in banking. And I went into a call with a client. The client actually brought it up as well in a discussion point. And then while I was on the phone with the client, 9 a.m. hit on the West Coast, which is where this bank is um, is chartered and, and, and housed the headquarters in Santa Clara, California. And FDIC took them over. And so it happened. Those things can kind of happen. They can come upon you quick. This seems to have happened really quick. And then just reading what's been coming out of the news since first it was the stock issue, then it was the we're trying to raise capital issue, and then it was a run starting allegedly by venture capitalist advisors telling venture capitalists to pull their money out, which um, was kind of like lighting a match, if you will. Or I guess maybe the better analogy is being in a theater and screaming fire and causing people to be trampled. So anyway, the, the FDIC took over and I want to read to you the press release that they issued on Friday, March 10th for immediate release. The The headline is the FDIC creates a deposit insurance National Bank of Santa Clara to protect insured depositors of Silicon Valley Bank, Santa Clara, California, for immediate release. Silicon Valley Bank, Santa Clara, California, was closed today by the California Department of Financial Protection and Innovation, which appointed the FDIC as receiver. To protect insured depositors, the FDIC created the Deposit Insurance National Bank of Santa Clara, DINB. At the time of the closing, the FDIC as receiver immediately transferred to the DINB all insured deposits of Silicon Valley Bank. All insured depositors will have full access to their insured deposits no later than Monday morning, March 13, 2023. The FDIC will pay uninsured depositors an advanced dividend within the next week. Uninsured depositors will receive a receivership certificate for the remaining amount of their uninsured funds. As the FDIC sells the assets of Silicon Valley Bank, future dividend payments may be made to uninsured depositors. Silicon Valley Bank had 17 branches in California and Massachusetts. The main office and all branches of Silicon Valley Bank will reopen on Monday, March 13th. 
The new bank will maintain Silicon Valley's bank's normal business hours. Banking activities will resume no later than Monday, March 13th, including online banking and all other services. Silicon Valley bank checks will continue to clear. Under the FDIC Act, the FDIC may create a DINB to ensure that customers have continued access to their insured funds. As of December 31st, Silicon Valley Bank had approximately $209 billion in total assets and about $175 billion, that's with a B, in total deposits. At the time of the closing, the amount of deposits in excess of the insurance limit was undetermined. The amount of uninsured deposits will be determined once the FDIC obtains additional information from the bank and customers. Customers with accounts in excess of $250,000 should contact the FDIC. The FDIC as receiver will retain all the assets from Silicon Valley Bank for later disposition. Loan customers should continue to make their payments as usual. Silicon Valley Bank is the first FDIC insured institution to fail this year. All right, so that's the official press release. So what does this mean in government speak? So when when FDIC takes over a bank, it's different than when how NCUA does it when they conserve a credit union. NCUA will continue to run the actual credit union unless they decide to liquidate it, but manage the assets and reduce the loss to the insurance fund by managing it and wearing the hat of of running the credit union and serving serving the members as both regulator uh, of the institution, insurer of the institution, but also actually running the institution. FDIC does it differently. They walk in, they make a good bank and a bad bank. The good bank is the insured deposits on one side of the ledger and the other side will simply be cash and the ability to withdraw that cash. And I imagine a lot of people will, who have that deposits may be contemplating doing that early on in the week. The bad assets are going to be sent over to the FDIC who will be selling them. Some of those assets are easy to sell. Some of those assets won't be as easy to sell. However, it's quite possible that this is one hectic and crazy weekend at FDIC and they could be offering those portfolios of loans and investments to larger banks who may have the ability to make quick bids on that to turn this into cash. However, the ultimate goal is to minimize the loss to the FDIC insurance fund, just as it would be for the NCUA insurance fund. So because this appears to have come on so quickly, being that it was a run that may have been triggered by, well, runs are always triggered by fear, but that this came upon the bank relatively quickly, perhaps came across the FDIC very quickly. The one thing I will say here also, well, I guess I'm saying a lot of things, but the one one point that I want to make right now is they said they had $175 billion in total deposits. And they said at the time of closing, the amount of deposits in excess of the insurance limits was undetermined. The amount of uninsured deposits will be determined once the FDIC has more information. I get this, but it's it's a little confusing. So if they took all the insured deposits and put them in the new bank at 250, by definition, anything that wasn't put over there is presumably uninsured. Now, I think the what they're hinting at here is that perhaps with some documentation that that the 
old bank can provide or that the customer can provide, you may have some joint ownership type situations where instead of 250, you might have 500 or instead of 250, you might have 750, again, depending on how the accounts were structured. So theoretically, there may be a slight increase in the amount of insured deposits. That's why they're saying they don't know the actual uninsured deposits. I will also say that one of the reasons this is a pretty unique situation from other things that have happened like this over the last 30 years of banking is that there is a huge, appears to be a huge concentration of uninsured shares in uh, Silicon Valley Bank. And specifically, so so much has come out of this. There's several articles on the Wall Street Journal, but one of the first ones, I think it was the second article I saw, had these two pieces of information. It said on Thursday, customers of Silicon Valley Bank or SVB tried to withdraw 52 billion of of deposits, which is 25% of the total amount. Now, it looks like it's actually roughly a little bit more than the the 25%, but again, numbers are moving. You're pulling them from FDIC, you're pulling them from Wall Street Journal, you're pulling them from year-end numbers, but rough justice, about 25% of deposits we're trying to get pulled out. It, that that's a huge number. As as credit union CEOs and and officials, you realize that's that is a huge number. But here's the the bigger issue: is that the Wall Street Journal indicated that 151 billion of uninsured shares were on the books at the end of the year. So 151 billion of uninsured shares. FDIC says, presume that number is right or close to, close, close to right. FDIC says 175 billion in total deposits. And so that's it. That's what 150 over 170. That's let me do the math. So that's a big number. That's if those numbers are right. So that's 86% of deposits are uninsured. And my 33 years at NCUA, I don't ever recall seeing anything close to that. Um, but uninsured deposits are big deposits, makes them usually rate sensitive, makes them usually, I guess you could consider it hot money. That's a term that, that it's an old banking term that's still used out there, but it's rate sensitive and potential to move quickly because a few actors can move a lot of money quickly. And that's what happened. Now, I've also, so, so you got, you've got articles, you've got other podcasts, you've got people on Twitter saying the sky, the sky is falling. We need to prevent contagion. And yes, contagion would be a bad thing. And then the other side of that coin is you have to let the market play out. The insured limit is the insured limit. When I was at NCUA, the Federal Credit Union Act creates what the insured limit is. That's an act of Congress. There is no ability to go above that insured amount. But digressing a little bit, if NCUA was shopping a credit union and they had uninsured deposits as on their balance sheets, which inevitably they would, there are ways when you have an orderly resolution via a merger or a purchase purchase and assumption of a troubled institution where you can cover some of those uninsured shares. And generally speaking, when a credit union puts a bid in on another credit union, they pay a premium on the shares because they don't have to go out and do all the marketing, et cetera, et cetera. They, they, they look at the assets, they discount those, but generally speaking, they'll give a premium on the shares. And there's some tricky math involved with it that I won't go into here, but if they're a premium on the shares, 
and they put their bid in, they can say, we want to acquire the uninsured shares. So the uninsured shareholders in that scenario can be fully paid in, in a manner that's consistent with insurance, but also consistent with the Federal Credit Union Act requiring least cost resolution, which is which is the law. It's also the law for FDIC. So FDIC has the insured limit they need to follow. They have the requirement to have the least, least cost to the insurance fund. Okay. So all of that is in the background here. Things happened and moved quickly. Now, if you go back and compare this to 2008 and 2009, when WAMU and other big banks failed, there's a lot out there on the internet. I haven't gone back and looked at it today, but thinking my memory is that there were some big meetings where FDIC and the Fed pulled in the big banks and they started cutting deals to find homes of these places that were quite big and they parked them with too big to fail institutions. And some of those deals, I think the too big to fail institutions later regretted, but deals were cut and they were able to move forward. In this instance, it does not appear that that is what is happening. Now, what scenarios could happen? There's, you, you, so you, it's good that this happens near the weekend because that gives two days where the business world is shut down, where there can be behind the scenes talks, whether or not they are trying to sell this to one of the big banks. That is definitely a possibility. A more likely possibility in my mind is that some of the assets will be sold to them, but not the entire remaining institution. And the fact that they're talking about already on Friday, they're talking about there will be a partial partial distribution and that they will be issued a receivership certificate. They've kind of, to me, already signaled that there will be a longer resolution than just this weekend, that it's not, this is all resolved and you get all your money back within the next week. It's going to be longer than that, in my opinion. And it's because of that reference to the receivership certificate and the reference to the FDIC will sell the assets and future dividend payments may be made to uninsured depositors. Now that also then, there's a corollary to some of this again in credit union land. So the NGN program, which I was heavily involved with back in 2009, 2010, and 2011, the failed corporate credit unions had assets. Those assets could not be sold in the market. They could not be sold for a good price in the market that existed at that point in time. And as a result, NCUA created the NGN program, took those back security pools that were um, that were in securities, took those securities, put them into new securities. And what they did is they added a government wrap and guarantee. Now, that wrap and guarantee is that the NGNs were guaranteed by the full faith and credit of the United States. And NCUA had the ability to do that because of the language in the Federal Credit Union Act. Now the FDIC has similar language and actually better language, which is more clear. It's a slam dunk that their, their authorities to do that are even better and broader than F and, and NCUA has. Now, during that same crisis, back in 2008, 2009, FDIC was uh, also doing the same thing. They were taking assets of failed banks, resecuritizing them, putting a government guarantee on them, which made them near risk-free or risk-free because 
the, the most risk-free investment is a treasury. Now this didn't have, this was 99.99% as, as risk-free as a treasury, the FDIC and the NGN. But think about what's going on at NCUA. They recently announced victoriously that there is going to be another dividend paid to one of the failed corporate credit unions because assets were paid and they're now able to give some of that money back to the credit unions that had investments in that failed corporate. That's what happens is these assets need to be put into cash. Once they're put into cash, they go back to the deposit holders. And uh, so it appears to me, at least today, Sunday at 1048, something could happen, something could hit the press where there's some sort of deal cut and things are gonna move quicker. But I am anticipating that that this will take at least longer than a week. And it really depends on what those assets are. There's a lot of information out there that they made business loans to, to wineries, for example, and that 2% of their assets are in that. Now, that that's neither good nor bad, but business loans take a little bit longer to look at and determine what a fair value is. Also, what other loans do they have on the books? Are they variable rate? Are they fixed rate? Were they issued? all during periods when rates were were lower and is there a haircut that needs to be take, taken there and so so on and so forth all of those things need to be need to play out to determine what the end net cash will be and then that can be converted into payback to the uninsured shareholders my biggest conclusion is that there's too many uninsured shares. It's too big of a percentage for someone to do the quick math that this is a deal that would make sense for that surviving institution. As a result, I think it's going to have to be something that the FDIC retains some of these assets and, and sells them. Now, that doesn't mean, like they're saying, they can give you, they're going to be able to give a dividend early on. They'll be able to give a dividend because there is substantial value in the assets, whether whether it's treasuries, which is really easy to figure out. They're going to be able to provide some liquidity from the FDIC system to make those payouts, knowing that those assets are there. Now, do they hold them to maturity and wrap them again in another security uh, that they can sell to get the cash? So those are different things that, that FDIC, I'm sure, is looking at and will continue to look at. So, it's 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 a bit of a train wreck. The reality is the chatter on it is quite interesting as well. And just a, a little bit of catching up on the reading. And by the way, I, I probably do a few podcasts on this topic as new information comes out. But there's so much information. My phone was blowing up from former colleagues at NCUA to clients to friends I've had in the industry that that are not clients. We were all discussing this from Friday over the weekend. And then on top of that, all the news stories that were flying around, which which we were sharing. But the street had a had an article about the fact that on the on the SVB collapse that Roku had alleged allegedly had 487 million in cash at the bank, uh, that Rocket Lab and Roblox were also affected. And let's see what was there, there's a story in the Wall Street Journal saying that Circle USDC stablecoin had $3.3 billion stuck at Silicon Valley Bank. And of course, they're a crypto firm. And again, what does that mean for crypto? If people want to, that are tied to that somehow are losing liquidity, that could get real interesting. You see lots of stories about these venture capital companies not having the ability to pay salaries. 
et cetera, et cetera. I don't know. Again, this is all just taking it at face value. This information may or may not be 100% accurate, but I saw another story, or maybe it was a tweet, somebody talking about to get the loans at this bank that the venture capitalist companies may have had to hold compensating balances large compensating balances and that those were uninsured and that that somehow played a potential role in this. Again, I don't know uh, if that is fact or fiction, but it is out there on the World Wide Web. There are people indicating that it needs to be buyer beware, which as a former regulator, I, I agree with that to the extent that the contagion can be controlled. However, you've also got people out there trying to in my opinion, make a contagion happen so that the government might have to act. And then there's the whole concept of if there does seem to be some sort of liquidity event, is that going to get the Federal Reserve to pause and maybe lower interest rates so some some of the under, these underwater assets are not as underwater? Right now, I'm going to bet against that. I think it's more of the of the the animal house quote remain calm or Kevin Bacon at the end is trying to get everybody to remain calm. I believe that is what will win out here as the week opens up, but it does have a lot of people on pins and needles. And another list, a current list of companies with Silicon Valley banks deposits: Circle three point three billion, Roku four eighty seven million, BlockFi two twenty seven, Roblox one fifty. Ginkgo Bio, 74 million. iRhythm, 55 million. Rocket Lab, 38 million. Uh, another therapeutic company, 34 million. And of course, these were just people who had announced how much they had there. There are others who probably haven't done so yet. And uh, the other, so I, I really kind of enjoyed this this tweet, which is by a gentleman named James Sirowicki. And what why this caught my eye is Mr. Sirowicki is the author of the book The Wisdom of Crowds, which I make reference to on my podcast quite a bit. But he tweeted when SVB was trying to convince legislators and regulators that tougher big bank rules should not apply to them. It was a, we are a regional bank. We don't represent the same concerns mega banks do. Post collapse, it's the, they're the 16th biggest bank in the U.S. It's time for a bailout. So yeah, very well said. I don't really know the facts relative to what SBB did tied to the convincing legislators and regulators of that. Although I did see some interesting tweets between Mark Cuban of course, of, of the TV show Shark Tank. And so I, I did see some interesting tweets um, from Mark Cuban, of course, from Shark Tank, also owner of the Dallas Mavericks and many other things. But discussions between Mark Cuban, again, kind of saying there should be a bailout and debates between politicians, AOC, for example, saying that making reference to the legislators and regulators and the pressure that that SVB put on government, I think, and implying that, that some rules were changed on their behalf, at which, again, I don't I haven't looked into the reality of that and what that is. But there's a lot of comments on this. There's some mudslinging. There's a lot of dust in the air. And Monday morning, we'll know more. We might know more tonight if there's some deals that are cut. And again, as information comes out, and it makes sense, I'll, I'm going to do some short podcasts on this. And I am also going to do a separate podcast on what now? What does this mean for how things might be handled at NCUA? I've got some thoughts on that, but that's that's a podcast I'm going to issue perhaps 
tomorrow, Monday or Tuesday, as I record that here this afternoon or, or Monday morning. All right. So testing times, remain calm in the minimize the contagion, but I think it's going to be quite interesting. I don't think there'll be the bailout that some are calling for, but in the end, I think these depositors will get most of their money back, just perhaps not as quickly as they're hoping that they will right now. Then again, it really comes down to what those assets hold. And there hasn't been a whole lot of discussion about that other than they had, they went long on investments, the Fed raised rates, they had to sell at a loss. I have no idea about the quality of the other assets. And that's really ultimately going to drive how much of a loss there might be to the uninsured depositors. That's it. This is Mark Trichel with another episode of With Flying Colors. I appreciate you listening and I'll have more on this as it makes sense to talk about it. I'll have another podcast. Thanks again. Thank you for joining us on this episode of With Flying Colors. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app to hear future episodes where subject matter experts of all varieties will provide tips on how to achieve success with NCUA. If you would like to learn more about how we assist credit unions, check out our services at marktrichel.com. 